This is Bassam Tarazi. Welcome to Headspring, a podcast that celebrates modern business leaders who overcome uncertainty and setbacks to embark on a journey of digital innovation. Today, we are speaking with Susan Liao. Susan is the founder of Startups for All, a purpose-driven online incubator for self-funded founders from underrepresented populations. Susan helps these leaders clarify their North Star vision and validate the difference they will make in the world. In this conversation, Susan shares with us what it was like to be a computer scientist who quickly moved into brand building and product launches for some of the biggest companies out there before finally switching to more purpose-driven work, one where she gets to guide others in bringing their creations into the world. We talk balance, inclusion, and what you should do when someone tells you you need a CTO. Enjoy. Well, hello, Susan. It's so nice to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hi, Bassam. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Yes, as am I. And where are you physically right now? Yes, I'm dialing in from Portland, Oregon, and I have a land acknowledgement statement to start off with, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Okay, great. So I just wanted to share with your listeners that I'm participating in this session from Portland, Oregon, which rests on traditional village sites of the Multnomah, Clackamas, Tumwater, Tualatin, Kalapuya, Wasco, Malala, Cowlitz, Walala Bands of the Chinook, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. And I want to acknowledge um, the ancestors of this place and to recognize that I am here because of the sacrifices forced upon them. Remembering their communities, I hope to honor their legacy, their lives, and their descendants. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was A, heartwarming and B, educational for myself and hopefully for our listeners. So thank you for sharing that. And I guess leaning into that a little Mm -hmm. bit of the before we were where we are question, where did you grow up? Yes, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, go blue Michigan state. Is that a is that a go is that a go blue statement? It is a glo- <laughs> go blue. It, it's not always assumed that's go blue, but yes, uh, very much in my case, it's go blue. Great, and you and remind me, are you a first generation American? You know, sometimes actually people define the generations differently. I say I'm second generation Taiwanese American which means that my parents were born in Taiwan. They moved here, immigrated here, and then I was born in in the U.S. As a child of immigrants as well, I know that our parents shape our worldview and how we think and what our expectations are of the world. How did your parents shape who you are and maybe how you thought of success and and what you wanted to do in life? Yeah, that's that's a really big question. I think what's unique to me, or maybe just my experience growing up in a, well, my household was bilingual, well, maybe even quadlingual. Hmm. Um, Coming from Taiwan, my parents spoke Mandarin and Taiwanese, which is like a, I wouldn't say it's a local dialect, it's actually the home language of folks who might identify as Taiwanese. So Mandarin, Taiwanese, and even a little bit of Japanese because Taiwan had been occupied by Japan for several years. And then there was English. (laughs) (laughs) I, on the other hand, I wish I knew all four languages, uh, but I grew up 
understanding Taiwanese, but I always spoke back in English. You went to Princeton, you got a degree mm -hmm. in, in computer science. Did mm -hmm. you feel pressure from parents or did you have a pretty much free reign on, hey, this is what I want to study. I really enjoy this line of uh, work. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, <laughs> and thinking about the question, what did I want to do? What did I want want to be when I grew up? There was um, pressure, I would say, just in the traditional sense of growing up in a Asian household. You may have heard stereotypes around this, and I, I probably lived that stereotype where my parents were very much interested in me being one of three things: an engineer, a doctor, mm -hmm. <laughs> or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I always thought I, of those three, probably engineering was best because I didn't do well with, with blood and right. <laughs> those types of things. I just did, I wasn't very talkative growing up. Um, yeah. So I always thought I was going to be an engineer. I did not think about computer science. I actually started in uh, chemical engineering mm -hmm. and um, did that for a little while and then realized that I didn't want to spend my future in a lab, which that's what it felt like to me at that time. Right. Um, yeah. And so at that time, computer science was something where you could type a couple things in a keyboard, you know, and press enter and then something would happen. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and seeing that immediate change was like, oh, my God, this is this is amazing. OK, I want to do more of this. Right. Fascinating. So you go to Princeton, you get a degree in, in computer science. And then for a lack of a better term, mm -hmm. I'm going to truncate things a little bit here. Yeah. Your, your, your history is very exciting and you've worked for a lot of different brands, but you joined, let's just call it the rat race kind mm -hmm. of of the East Coast agency work filled with product launches and brand building and, and, and all that kind of stuff. What was that? What was that like? Yeah, it, I mean, it's super exciting. I, you know, I spent one year out of college programming and then there was a realization, I want to spend more time actually talking to people face-to-face, -face, less time behind a computer. And so that's what kind of, I had an opportunity to join um, the Strategic Interactive Group, which is called SIG. It was part of a, it was created out of a direct marketing company back in the day. You, you know, people used to receive coupons in the mail. <laughs> I don't even know that still exists. Um, and that company was interested in exploring like email, banner ads, and that sort of thing. So I joined as an account executive. And um, from that point on, it was, it was exciting because I was working with creative folks, people who like design visual, amazing things, and then also technologists, strategists, media people. And to me, I was like in the center, the, you know, the hub where I could mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of take a back seat and observe all these different amazing things that these people were creating. Um, and then my job was just to try to like bring it all together and, and move projects forward. But can you just tell us a little bit about the Hello Baby launch you did for Pampers? Yeah, I think one thing from my experience working with agencies that I'm super grateful for is I just had the opportunity to be on these projects where we're working with emerging te technologies or we've been tasked, challenged by a brand to do something that's never been done before. And so Hello Baby was a campaign by Pampers in, um, when I worked with uh, at Strawberry Frog, which is a cultural movement agency, and um, Pampers was launching a new diaper <laughs> called the Dry, I think it was the uh, Dry Max. Um, and while diapers are designed for, you know, kind of an 
later stage kind of infants and toddlers, um, we were wondering how can we provide some sort of education to um, expecting mothers on baby development? And how can we do it in a way that shows realistically this is what it could look like? Uh, And so when you think about what that means, that actually means taking photographs, like real photographs of um, baby development at various stages through a pregnancy. And what better way to show the growth and actual real size of baby development than with, say, a larger screen? And at that time, our digital devices were phones and laptops, and the iPad was coming out, was, was about to launch. If you were developing apps for it, you could not, there's no way to get your hands on it. Um, it was super, you know, top secret. And so we were given simulators and the, we could only test on software. Wow. And so, yeah, it just. <laughs> Terri- <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Yeah. We didn't even know. It, it, it's like, you know, you're learning, trying to learn how to ride a bike, but you're never allowed to actually go out on the street. <laughs> and all you can do is just like practice in your living room. And then all of a sudden, like the day of you're, you know, you're asked to like, okay, let's, let's ride down, you know, whatever highway and, <laughs> or, you know, roadway and see if it, you know, if you, <laughs> you can do it. If you can actually ride. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, the day the iPad launched, I, as the producer ran to the closest Apple store, bought an iPad, um, and tried to find our app through the app store, loaded it up. And when I clicked on, you know, I was like looking at, okay, what does week like one look like? And I wanted to swipe left, look at week two, I swiped and nothing happened. (laughs) It was like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to pedal, but like the pedals aren't moving. (laughs) We're stuck. Um, And yeah, so we had a bug and we had to race back, fix the bug, and then kind of navigate our way through all the kind of bells and whistles to get it, you know, the update approved. I think it took a few days. You know, for all of us non-tech people, I don't want to say we we giggle at your pain. It wasn't that's that's not fun. But I think for so many of us who kind of who who feel like technology is foreign, it's kind of amazing to imagine that world that you were in, where you had to build essentially a product that you couldn't actually test. And I wonder, was there any grand lesson that you still take with you today? Yeah, I mean, something that I've taken with me throughout my career and even in my my life is as you're making decisions you can only <laughs> you can only make the best you know best decision with the information that you have and then realizing that you don't have all the information ever right. um right. and it's more about what might happen after right so right. it's whether you're um you know it's the same thing with product you know people talk these days about an mvp and you need to iterate and it's about just getting something out there don't be perfect But even so, you also need to think about, okay, well, once it's out there, what happens next? Right, right. And how do you manage risk, you know, all that jazz? Um, You know, are you ready to, you know, do you need 20, like, this is what I always would ask my teams when we're preparing for a launch is, you know, what's our on-call schedule? You know, what's expected in terms of response time? Because I I want a happy team. I don't want to expect that we're all just like all hands on deck for the next like 48 hours, right. you know, I would rather have a plan. Right. With the understanding that, Hey, everything's not going to go right. And that's, right. that's okay. Yeah. It's going to happen. Let's not pretend it's not. I heard, heard someone, uh, you just reminded me of the statement that uh, someone was asked, I, I think it was a, he, if he had any regrets in life. And his answer was, 
that I have regrets in life because I did the, I did the best I could at the time, right? Mm -hmm. So as if we constantly regret it, you're like, hey, you had you know enough info, you had the info mm -hmm. you had, you made the best decision, and you're you're not an oracle, you're not a seer, you can't you can't predict. Um, so maybe that's a good lesson for all of us. Let's just kind of fast forward. You're seemingly I'm putting in air quotes living the life in New York City, but I I've lived in New York City for ten years and I know it's 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 a struggle. But something changed for you. What what changed? I, I was living the life. I had a, you know, a, like a one bedroom rental in Williamsburg near the Lorimer shop, right when things were like getting super popular in the area. And um, I had a dog, <laughs> you know, I had two dogs in New York <laughs> City. Um, I was VP of digital for MKTG, which is an experiential marketing agency. So in terms of the agency my agency journey, not only was I working with digital, I was also working with like live experiences, mm. um, like whether it's like setting up an event in Times Square or some sort of like product launch. This was for the Chromebook in airports. And, and that was really, really cool to have that experience. Um, and I built a team from scratch. So that was the big thing at, mm. at MKTG is they, you know, they were kind of focused on events. They had two tech guys. And then we're thinking, okay, how do we actually build out, you know, a digital offering? And so I built a team of digital strategists, tech folks, creative folks. And that was great. I think for me, the turning point was just thinking, you know, what really is my own North Star? Like what's, what's my purpose in life? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm happy to help these brands. I'm happy to get exposure and learn about what it's like to reach these, all these like various audiences in these different ways. Um, but I was thinking, what's next for me? Mm -hmm. um, and how am I bettering my community? I know that's a, that's like a, a big statement sometimes, no, it's a special question. It's a very New York statement. Anyone yeah. who spent a lot of time there at some point, you're inevitably yeah. up against it and you think, well, hold on, what, what, what is this all for? Yeah. And so what did come next? Yeah, it was a little bit of, um, you know, you, well, for me, I was, in the agency world, you know, had people in like six different offices and was becoming a little more corporate, I guess. And mm -hmm. in, in some sense where, you know, I was very much involved in the pitches, putting the presentations together. And it's just, when I was thinking about my time, I've heard this kind of question, reflection question before, which is, you know, if you could spend more time with five people, who would those five people be? Mm -hmm. If you could spend less time with five people, you know, who would those five mm -hmm. people be? And in, in some ways, that's what I was thinking in my mind is if, who do I want to spend more time with? What do I want to spend more time doing? And I felt like I was missing some of the creative kind of juice that I originally had when I was, say, at Strawberry Frog working on, you know, Hello Baby. Um, kind of like, in, you know, connection with the art and design world, especially. Is this the print all over me? Is that, was that the kind of removal from the big agency kind of rat race work? Yes. So this was a connection through a high school friend um, who was an architect um, and then kind of moved into the digital world. Uh, but his uh, wife was starting up this, um, yeah, print all over me, which was a creator platform. It was a platform for artists to create digital images of their work and then on demand, print them <laughs> on different silhouettes and garments. And so it's kind of like the precursor to Cafe Press. And right. there's lots of different other platforms like this now. Um, but it was based in New York because they actually got accepted into New Ink's um, incubator, which I think it was like the inaugural year. 
um, like I, I think this, you know, it's a physical location in this beautiful kind of like artsy museum like <laughs> environment with all these different startups. And um, I think Kickstarter was also connected with the board. So they held talks. It was, it was pretty exciting. It was, and um, yeah, and there was just five of us. So really it was kind of do whatever you can to help out, but also uh, you get, you know, I was given a lot of autonomy to, to actually be hands-on. Like I was actually doing some code, <laughs> but oh, wow. I also was like doing customer service, kind of working with, and then also thinking, you know, working with the founders, um, on the roadmap, like, and then fundraising, <laughs> you know, even just like open brainstorm sessions like that. And how did that compare to the big agencies? Was there, was there something I'm curious, maybe both directions. Was there something you missed about the big agencies or or did it just kind of resupport that desire to work kind of in a, on a smaller team, have more impact, not deal with hierarchy and yeah. all that kind of stuff? You know, that's, I think that's a great question because I've worked with these large companies and then you work with small companies and it, sometimes it always seems like the gr gr grass is greener on the right. other side, right? right. <laughs> um, but when you, I really think about it, reflecting on it now, I think what I missed maybe the most, um, you know, there was excitement obviously with like being able to travel, you know, I kind of work, say I've now worked with Google <laughs> or I've worked with Pepsi or, or these different brands. Um, but they, that was kind of replaced with the excitement of just working with artists and designers. Right. But what I think I missed the most were the people, you know, the team <laughs> that I had kind of helped build and, um, yeah, just having that diversity of thought, maybe an energy. And that experience, and I know there's not a there's not a direct line yeah. to today from from print all over me mm -hmm. to startups for all, but is there kind of a through line that happened or dominoes that fell once you got to print all over me? Uh, you know, what you saw in the market, how the business community was um, mm -hmm. as far as equity, inclusion, and all that kind of stuff. Did that start from the print all over me days? Was that previous to that? And did it just accelerate? Yeah, I think it actually started before because um, so one of my early agency, well, I wouldn't say early, it came, I'm trying to think of my timeline, before um, MKTG. So I worked at RGA, which is now known as one of the top digital agencies, or it's not even just digital now. Um, but at that time, there were about 900 people. They had gone, I think, from like 300 to 900 in a pretty short time. And I was a producer for Nike ID, which is also now Nike Customization. Mm -hmm. But this is around their dot-com experience. And the shopping experience at that time for Nike was in Flash, if anyone in the audience yep. remembers Flash. <laughs> um, you could not load it on your phone. You needed a plug-in. Yep. And they wanted to make it more accessible through, by converting that experience to HTML. So my team at that time consisted of folks from all different countries. I was actually the only native English, like American English speaker. Wow. Like everybody else had a different accent. This was 2009, 2010. And, you know, something that I've, you know, thought about a lot since then, because on your resume, you know, as you're developing your resume, or I was doing it, I was thinking about what was unique about my teams and, what did I appreciate? And I actually appreciate that diversity of just like a, a cross-cultural team where 
it's, you can't take certain things for granted. <laughs> you know, we don't all use the same words for everything. So, and we want to be inclusive. Um, and yeah, it's just that diversity of thought and approach and language was so rich. And I've definitely noticed as I've worked for different organizations when that's missing. I see. And that's kind of how I would say, like, that's maybe a long-winded way of saying, you know, Starbucks for All, at the end of the day, I created because I want to help nurture and foster that level of diversity from day one. Um, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I was going to say, what is the mission of Startup for All? But mm -hmm. I think that encapsulated, or is there anything else you would add to that? Um. The only thing I would say it's it's a you know what's the challenge like why is this a hard mission to see that level of diversity um, kind of in the startup world and people may have read you know there's a lot going on these days in the headlines and in media um, about representation what I the lens that Startups for All is looking at is actually from the leadership perspective like when. Uh, the leadership when the table is formed, so to speak, mm. and you're trying to figure out how many chairs do I have? Do I need a CMO? Do I need, you know, a sale, a CPO, whatever those acronyms are? Um, how do you actually, as a founder, think about how diversity factors in in a way that actually affects your business? In, in an earlier conversation, you mm -hmm. talked about needing to start at the beginning of the life cycle of a company. Yeah. Right? You need to start planting those seeds there and help me understand. And I know there's some people out there mm -hmm. who maybe have started something or who might want to start um, a business. Let's go as dumbed down as possible as far as maybe how the current startup process works. I have written down here, a person starts a company, yeah. it gets some traction, they want it to grow, they get advice, and they're told they need a CTO. Um, and again, I'm thinking about it from the tech angle yeah. and I'm sure there's other pieces, but is that kind of like what people face? Yeah. I, I mean, so I interviewed or I, and I continue to interview founders, but I probably interviewed, I don't know, I've interviewed now like 30 plus 40 uh, founders, um, purpose-driven. So, you know, they're on a mission to do some sort of social good, um, but they're still for profit. And some of them are more mature in their journeys, like three years out. Um, some are just starting. And when I ask, what are one of the, you know, the greatest challenges that you face? Um, it, it does come down to making decisions and decisions around how do I <laughs> uh, spend my time and money? And what the advice mm -hmm. that they're hearing is, um, yeah, as a founder, you have an idea, you need to validate it. And then at some point you need to fundraise. Well, I would say you can fundraise or you can develop an MVP mm -hmm. and developing an MVP, uh, you know, some actual product at the end of the day is requires some sort of technical expertise. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I'm hearing is usually, yeah, one of the, my first priorities I is I need to find a CTO and that's what I'm having trouble doing, finding a CTO. Got it. Do you feel like it's sometimes an unnecessary jump? Do you feel that there's some business owners or product owners that haven't fully validated their product yet and it's just maybe the easy thing to do or the easy problem to say you have is that you need a CTO? Yeah, I so this is my my own bias and uh, hypothesis perhaps because I have a little bit of a tech background but I also I come from the product world and the design world. And um when I was a product lead for these various like series B kind of scale up startup to scale up organizations 
um, they're at a point where they had a strong engineering team, strong CTO, but yet they struggled to scale because they hadn't, the challenge before them was, well, how do I uh, cross the chasm, so to speak, between like early adopters to mainstream market? Um, and the needs can change. <laughs> so as an early stage founder, uh, I feel that, you know, I hear that, you know, I spent three months looking for a CTO and I still don't, haven't found one or I spent six months doing it. And I'm thinking, you know, if you have limited time and resources, which I think most people have, um, my recommendation, I strongly would say, do what you can to start experimenting and really validate yeah, the problem that you want to solve and get to know your customers, engage with an audience. Um, what I know is also challenging is being a solopreneur. And maybe that's something that crosses people's mind. That's my hypothesis I'm trying to get at, which is right. as an early stage founder, if you're solo, I can see how having someone with you can give you some more confidence right. um, and help progress. But I think that Whoever you find or whoever is in your sounding board circle doesn't have to be a CTO. Got it. And does that, I mean, is that the segue to Stardust for All and you in, in what you do with these cohorts? So I work with both women, non-binary folks, and queer trans, mostly uh, queer trans people of, uh, of color. Um, and although it's open to anyone. Uh, so, but it's inclusive towards and um, kind of focus on helping kind of the least represented folks kind of in startup leadership today. Got it. So um, the ecosystem founders, most of them are solopreneurs. And my role I see is both kind of like a thought leader, but really a connector and a, and a guide, <laughs> kind of like an advisor in some ways, mm -hmm. where it's about doing an initial assessment of first, what are your strengths? What are your needs? Where are you today? Like, do you have an MVP? Just kind of like, you know, there's a basic, you know, kind of starting to form a framework for what what is your current state? And then what are the challenges you have? Um, where do you need the most help? And there's different kind of design-led thinking exercises that I can take founders through. Um, but it's kind of, you know, the challenge, where do you need the most help? And then the most important thing actually is to think about what is their North Star? What is the impact or... What is the change that you actually want to see in the world, say, 10 years from now? Got it. I really push them to think broad vision because throughout your startup journey, you're going to be faced with all these different decisions again. And through your, you know, especially as a solopreneur, you're going to, <laughs> every day we're probably making thousands of decisions of should I do X, Y, Z. Um, and then you're going to get a lot of advice. And the you'll need to think about, you know, what advice, what are the signals that I need to pay attention to and which ones can I kind of let leave behind? What, what does today look like mm -hmm. for Sardis for All? And what are the biggest challenges you think you face right now? So we, um, earlier this year, I ran two pilot cohorts and we have about 30, 40 founders kind of in our community. It's our pilot community. And um, when I kind of got feedback on, you know, in this programming, what were the activities or what were the services um, that you've, that kind of contributed the most <laughs> uh, to your journey as a founder, what I actually heard was, you know, there's the education component of that you might find in any other accelerator, you know, like how do you validate your value proposition? Mm -hmm. How do you run an experiment? 
But what I heard was um, what really stood out for them, and some of these founders have participated in other um, programs, was one, the quality and the curation of the experts that I would bring in um, to help mentor them. And then two, it was about the community, the connection with the other founders and having space just to reflect where someone is listening to them. It may sound basic, but it actually is, um, I think, quite transformative. Being heard and seen. Yeah, <laughs> I know. At the end of the day. Pretty good. And I think on the, on the flip side, it's, um, I don't know if it's neurologically, but at least emotionally, we get a kick out of helping people. It almost feels better helping someone than getting help. And so just creating that, you know, for lack of a better term, safe space right. um, and working with an under, with an underrepresented community, I think um, I'm sure just everyone looking around, be it the digital room or the physical yeah. room, there is some of that, that trust uh, and empathy almost, I don't want to say baked in, but you know, everyone understands where everyone's coming from. Right on when I'm thinking, I mean, right now I am thinking about what is going to be like stars for all's actual like community kind of platform. What are the services, but also what are the products? <laughs> what systems do I want to create being a product person to help support the work that we do? And um, what's my North Star? And I what's my role also as a founder? And I'm, you know, given COVID <laughs> yeah. and the pandemic, it's, you know, I've, I'm really thinking about, you know, the themes of space and pace. Mm. Like everyone's super busy. Like last year, the struggle was like, okay, now I need to work from home doing all these Zooms. Where can I find a corner in my house or building or whatever where I actually can be on camera and feel comfortable, <laughs> you know, being on right. camera? Right. Um, now I think the question is how, you know, there are some benefits that did come out of like innovations um, from the pandemic, obviously, about gathering. Um, Priya Parker is someone that I follow religiously. Um, she talks, she's doing like a gathering makeover now thinking about these hybrid remote live spaces. But um, I think about how do I help foster connection and diversity, you know, in a kind of boundless way. So someone in Florida can connect with someone, mm -hmm. you know, California and collaborate together or in Japan or in Europe. Um, and how can they collaborate together and still feel the type of connection you might have when you're in yeah, a live environment and how can you still feel safe? Right. 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 And what's amazing about that thinking of wheels within wheels is that mm -hmm. you coming from a tech background, helping other individuals kind of navigate this startup reality. Yeah. However, in order to help them as best you can, what mm -hmm. you were alluding to, at least in my head is there are some systems and some technological, maybe platforms yeah. you need to create. So I'm curious do you handle them on your own? Do you, uh, and again, because I, I'm not a computer scientist, I'm right. wondering, can you, can you do that yourself or do you have partners you work with? You know, it's funny when in the past, in my tradition, I've always been asked as a producer, kind of like team lead, like is XYZ possible? And my answer is anything is possible. Hmm. It's just a matter of, I, I do feel like anything is possible. It's just a matter of, again, like time and resources and, right. and interest. Um, so I could, build things. And I still go back and forth with this. It's my own kind of like self doubt sometimes is, am I spending too much time, uh, you know, working with the community and should I just block off a, a couple of days and just try to build something? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but 
I, my level of coding, I would say it's like, I can make, um, scrambled eggs. I can make a hard boiled egg. Mm -hmm. If you, if I wanted to make a souffle or something like <laughs> anything involving an oven or baking, right. um, Got it. not going to work out. So coding, I can do some front end stuff, but if I want to get into in CSS styling, but if I wanted to get into like whatever is going on these days in the back end, that would be very difficult. Is there something more difficult about having knowledge about coding and, and, and computer science when it comes to letting go? Or is it, or you kind of know, look, an omelet is maybe the best I can do. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to creep into the next dish. Or do you feel yourself sometimes like maybe I can figure it out? I'm curious because, you know, when, when, when we know enough to be dangerous, sometimes it is hard right. to draw that line. Um, it, it is hard because, you know, I would say I've always been good at breaking things like as a product person or, you know, the project manager, it's, you're often doing QA. I don't know if anyone else has <laughs> been in that seat. You know, you, you got to launch and you just got to start hammering away at the product and see if you can break things and figure out like, is this going to be a blocker or not a blocker? Right. So I've always been, been good at um, breaking things. And so when it comes down to figuring out like how to do something, I'm pretty good at configuring. And sometimes when I'm working with like an engineer or a tech folk, I, I can kind of unintentionally, I'm trying to be clear about the outcome, the business, you know, need or the user need, but un unintentionally I can start to like rabbit hole into like the, okay, like what's the stack tech stack, <laughs> you know, what tools, well, what about using Zapier for this and that? And yeah, yeah. There's a point where I just have to step back and say, <laughs> it's not and, my job anymore. And earlier you did mention doubts and, and we all have, mm -hmm. have doubts about ourselves. And I, and I, I've asked this question to a guest before, and I thought it was kind of fun. So perfectionism, imposter syndrome, or the fear of failure, what's your self-sabotage, drug of choice, and how do you deal with them? Because at the end of the day, you, like the individuals you help, I think you are solo right now. Is there anyone else? that could, Do you have any any support there yeah. at, at, at Stars for All? I know I asked you two questions in mm -hmm. one, but, but, but curious kind of. How do you would, deal with those? With yeah. Those yeah, I would say I'm like 90%. So I'm starting at that point where I've, um, I have some volunteer people who have helped with like an event, but now I'm starting to look at roles and thinking about who <laughs> do I really need? I'm, I'm kind of, um, modeling, uh, my own <laughs> challenge here, which is like, you know, if I had three hires, who would those hires be? What are the skills and roles that I need to help complement my own strengths? Got it. Um, yeah. So, but in terms of doubts, yeah, my, I would say the, the negative, um, con I want to say like the, the statement that runs through my mind where I have the negative belief that runs through my mind is that I'm not good enough. I know it sounds ridiculous. Like, you know, I've been 20 years in tech. I've had all this experience. I've worked with even international law enforcement. And yet I still have these thoughts of, you know, I need more. Right. Like I'm really good at gathering information. So that's my rabbit hole is like, hey, I'm looking through my LinkedIn feed. I'm seeing what my friend Femily is doing, or I'm seeing what this consultant, D&I consultant is doing. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. oh my God, you know, I need to do this or I need to learn. And I have to reset and and what, what is that? Yeah. I'm curious. Do you have kind of that, you know, you're, you know, you're going down a death by research, you know, yeah. hole and you know, you're avoiding something. Do you have something? And we all have, 
I don't know. We all have tricks. I'm curious. Do you have one that you can catch yourself in and how do you get out of it? Yeah. I, well, what I've been doing, I, I I would, I, I was thinking the first word to mind was, you know, I'm experimenting with this accountability format called action cafes Mm -hmm. that was created by the future of work Portland kind of chapter. And, um, I don't think we're experimenting anymore. It's just, it's, they're just holding this regular time and I've been doing this for months and um, it is awesome. I mean, the, at, at its core, what this kind of action cafe is, is timed accountability, almost like an accountability sprint. Mm. So um, where I time box stuff, but we will gather together for an hour and at the first, you know, at the top of the hour, we just share, we just articulate, right? So it's the power of words. Here's what I'm going to work on. Here's what I want to work on. And then we get thrown into our own breakout rooms. So I'm not seeing, any, you know, it's just myself. And there's a timer on the clock. So it's like 45 min- hmm. minutes. And then I just have to do whatever I said I was going to do. Six times out of 10, I'm doing the thing that I'm doing. Sometimes I end up getting distracted or there are other things that going that go on. But the beauty of these action cafes is at the end of that timer, we then regroup. And so it's that that's the accountability. We have to share out, okay, how did it go for you? And then we do that twice. So in a nutshell, my, I guess, secret sauce now is these like time boxed <laughs> accountability sprints. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm very big on on the time boxing. And as you were talking, I was thinking in my head, um, um, you know, it's almost like you are beholden to somebody else in that moment, and you don't want to let them down, right? You don't want to have spent the 45 minutes and come back and tell somebody, and somebody asks you what you work on, and you say nothing, right? I right. think there's a little bit of that. Wait, I want to be part of the in group. I want to be respected. I don't want to have somebody roll their eyes at me. And it's just amazing that power for everyone listening out there. I've I myself have run accountability groups. It it, it um, extremely powerful. Just having that one other person there. First, you get to be seen and heard. Your your vulnerability is yeah. acknowledged, and then you're on the hook, right? You're on the hook. That's that's yeah. that's somebody's time. Somebody is spending their time listening to you, and it is amazing how 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 much even a stranger yeah. who you've never met can get you to do what you need to do. Yeah. And I, for me, I think there's this added element of like, it's a safe space, right? There is no wrong result. You can only make progress right. <laughs> at the end of it. Even if you're doing something else, I've still made progress on something else that will then say like, I'm doing laundry, honestly. And, you know, or I have to make two phone calls, but I've done those phone calls. So now my other, I have more open time to work on other things, right? right. Rather than right. just, um, you know, binge watching Netflix. No, no offense to Netflix. There's a time and place for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I, I have, I have formulated my life where I don't have to do's. I don't have actual product to do's. I have dedicated time. I will be working on yes. things. And so all I have to commit to is a 30 minute session. And I don't have to worry about finishing this thing. I don't have to worry about where it is. It's just, I can only work as fast as I work. And that permission to work and not have it be sexy or quote unquote finished is what yeah. allows me to work. And uh, yeah, in some sense that like the big picture of, you know, your original question of like, how do you avoid like these research rabbit holes is I do have these, you know, on my list of like 
big picture milestones, you know, outcomes, just like in the product world, like, you know, um, how, you know, what, what are the roadmap outcomes? How do you want to measure success? So I kind of have goals kind of monthly, quarterly, right. big picture. Yes. And then um, my style is less of the, okay, now I'm going to like write down every single task I need to do versus like, to your point, I have these sessions where I'm going to block off two hours to just be productive and be yep. output driven. <laughs> yep. And I'm going to block off one hour on Fridays. They're called like finance Fridays now where it's just anything related to money. Got it. In thinking about that and thinking about your big goals and, mm -hmm. and thinking about the rest of 2021, what are you, what are you most excited about um, for Startups for All and maybe, maybe just you? Yeah, no, I'm excited for community. And it may sound trite, and maybe this is my own like, self-doubt coming in, but I am excited to really kind of to raise awareness or actually just spark that initial thought that the future can be different than what it is today. Hmm. And as a founder, if you are struggling with, or even aspiring founder, and you're thinking, you know what, I'm a little bit tired of playing the game. I want to create my own table, <laughs> so to speak, or, you know, here's a cause that I feel really strongly about, but I don't know if I can really make you know, how do I actually monetize this? I don't want to take advantage of this population of people. All these questions that people have, I feel like there's a way. There's a way to balance purpose and profit. And I know there are like structures out there and a lot of programs that try to balance those things. Um, but I, I think we're just touching the surface. This is like dipping your toes. We're kind of swimming in the swimming pool, but there's the ocean. And there's a lot of possibility. It's just starting to think about your ecosystem of, you know, at the end of the day, you've got people, you have organizations, <laughs> you have systems. And what's the right combination of this and that, the right ingredients to really um, achieve that outcome that you're looking for? And I think it's possible. It's just about who do you bring into those conversations to figure out, to help you figure out how to solve that problem. If I were to ask you, what does the future of work look like mm -hmm. to you? I know balance is important to you. Yeah. Uh, inclusivity. Um, what what pops to mind? Yeah. I think for a founder, for their life, like I think the future of like foundership is about balance, hmm. about work-life balance and sustainability. Um, I think the future of work for the organizations they create is about inclusion. I define, you know, inclusion meaning that we are celebrating everybody's differences. Like differences are recognized and they're celebrated. And that's what drives the organization forward and makes progress. As a business owner yourself mm -hmm. and as someone who preaches finding balance, <laughs> where do you get, where do you score on a scale of zero to 10 of, of finding balance? Because I'm sure there's a lot of business owners out there who, who struggle, right? Who, who yeah. struggle with that. And maybe they have a full-time job and it's a side hustle or they're a parent mm -hmm. and they're so... Yeah, what what grade do, what grade do you, do you give yourself, and um, any any improvements you're hoping to make? Yeah, I I think I fluctuate. <laughs> I've never got a straight answer. Maybe the average is a six, but I think I fluctuate okay. between a three and a four, and like an eight and a nine because I grew up in kind of a little bit of the play hard work hard kind of environment. It's kind of what's the agency life. You go all in to get your launch done and then you celebrate. Um, but that's not sustainable. So I'm, I'm, it's always something that I'm working on. Um, but yeah, I think the average would be a six. Well, Susan, I think that was a lovely conversation. And for anyone out there 
who's working on their own, who's battling by themselves. You're not alone. A, B, we all doubt ourselves, but C, you are good enough. Uh, I need to tell myself that too sometimes. So Susan, thank you for your points of view, your story, your, your path, uh, your passion, and what you're doing for Startups for All. It is a beam of light. Thank you so much, Bassam. Thank you for having me. Headspring is sponsored by IQ Lab. IQ Lab is dedicated to transforming enterprises through digital automation, IoT, and data science. For more information on IQ Lab, please visit iqlab.com. That's E-Y-E-C-U-E-L-A-B.com. Thank you.